Good morning. Um, set up. It's good to be here. Um, I, I don't know if you guys, you, you, you do this every week, but your, uh, your worship has been a blessing to me this morning. I have really, uh, I've really enjoyed that. And that was, uh, it was definitely uh, uh, a blessing for me. Um, I want to thank you for allowing me to, uh, to visit with you. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for, uh, for being here. Um, I wanted to take a minute, you know, before I get started and, uh, and make sure that you knew, uh, that, that, uh, what a great, um, energetic, exciting, passionate, uh, uh leader that you have. And, and Casey's not bad too. Um, but, <laughs> Seriously, uh, I haven't known Casey for long, but uh, I've always been impressed with his professionalism and, and, and his uh, uh, detail-oriented focus. But I'll be honest with you, what has impressed me the most about Casey in the last few years is that he has thrown himself into uh, this, this pursuit of spiritual growth and, and this really pursuit of, of God. And, and you can't get anything better in, in a, a minister than someone who is actively chasing after a relationship with God. So um, you guys are blessed. Uh, I know you know that. Yeah, that's, that's worth... Uh, and, and you need to know that because I don't know if you're aware, but it is a free agent market out there right now. Um, ministers are, are leaving uh, and, and over COVID left and drove. Some of them more didn't come in. And so now churches are like, they're poaching. They're, they're going after each other's ministers. Um, you, get, you get calls, you get emails. And, uh, you know, uh, the, I got an email uh, a couple of weeks ago. And this church said, uh, we really, we really want you to come and, and to be part of our church. We are an exciting, young, vibrant church. We are uh, in a thriving metropolitan area. We are, are very progressive and very open-minded. Um, we really would, uh, would like for you to come be part of us. We have, uh, we have a lot of things going for us. Um, and we do have, we do have a few divisions because there are, uh, some of our number that follow different leaders and, and, and differentiate themselves by that. And, and because they're following all these different leaders, then it's kind of become a competition. And so uh, we, we kind of, each group tries to do their own thing. Actually, our worship has become kind of like American Idol where everybody's auditioning at once. And, uh, you know, somebody will have a word of prophecy. Somebody else will have a, a scripture. Somebody else will have a song. And they're kind of jockeying for position all the time and 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 but but we like that we think that shows our our spiritual growth and our open-mindedness um, but unfortunately that's also carried over we don't do the traditional communion we do a a, a a more of a more of a love feast a meal type thing but but that division's still there and and it's become a competition as well because everybody brings their own meal and they all try to outdo one another and so it becomes we don't really share it's not like a potluck we just bring our own and then look down on everybody else's. 
sometimes. Um, but, but we still think that is a, that's a great thing that we have, uh, we have really, we're really open-minded about a lot of things. We have a, a lot of, uh, a lot of exciting ideas. We have some people who have some exciting ideas about marriage and about divorce and about, we have some people who have some, some exciting ideas about sexual relationships. We have, in fact, we have one of our member who's actually, uh, he's actually living with his father's wife and, uh, we're, we're kind of proud of that, that we support that alternative lifestyle. Um, and, and, you know, we have all these things, but, but wouldn't you like to come and be our preacher? Now, you know, what do you say to that? You say forward to Casey Langford. Um, no, what do you say to that? Well, you've figured out by now, I'm not talking about a real church. I'm talking about the church in Corinth, not a church today, but the church that Paul is writing to in 1 Corinthians. And, and what do you say to that group? What do you call that group? You know, if we're honest, we, we kind of call them weird, um, or, or at least we call them strange. At least we call them maybe even crazy. Um, because they kind of are. There's, there's a lot going on here. And what, does, what is Paul going to call? What is Paul going to say these, to these people? Well, he calls them sanctified. He calls them saints. He calls them brothers and sisters. He calls them fellow workers. He calls them beloved if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn over to, to 1 Corinthians. That's where we're going to we'll start uh, this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and as we look at this church, we're going to see that they're in much the same place that the American church as a whole is today. They're very divided. They're very fractured. Um, and, and they bicker over doctrine and worship styles. Every group thinks they're right and refuses to compromise. And we can surmise that a couple of things happen. We know that they wrote Paul a letter, and they're asking him a bunch of questions. And, and really, they're not looking for clarity as much as they're looking for validation. Each group wants Paul to say, you're right, and those people over there are wrong. And, and so we know that they wrote Paul this letter. They didn't have postal service like we did. So Chloe and a bunch of people brought that letter to Paul. And we can also tell that when they did bring that letter, they didn't only give him the letter. They also filled him in on all the other stuff that they didn't want to put in the letter, you know, because you never tell the bad stuff. You just tell the good stuff. And so Chloe and, and her group kind of filled in the gaps and let him know what else was going on. And, and so Paul is writing back to these people. And that's what we get in 1 Corinthians. They're fully expecting him to, to validate positions, to take sides. And, and that is 1 Corinthians. Now imagine you're a part of that Corinthian church. You've written this letter, you've, you've sent it off, and, and you're waiting for the response. Now, this letter was meant to be read publicly in the assembly. And so, as you're sitting there, you're waiting to hear, Paul's going to be on my side. Paul's going to say that we're right and, and everybody else is wrong. Paul's going to tell everybody else that they should listen to us and do what we're doing. And what does Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul tells these people that they have been called, that they are holy. They have been called out, set apart, set aside. What does that mean? Well, it means this is not just a phone call. This is a royal summons. This is you have been called out of the world that you live in and you're supposed to be different. Look at how many times he uses this in, in, in the first nine verses alone. He, Paul has been called. They were called to be saints along with everyone who will call on the name of the Lord. God is the one who calls them. And, and, and what does Paul say they're called for? What does Paul say they're called for? They're called to fellowship with Christ and one another. They're called to not just be a church of factions, but to be a church that gets along. They're called to unity. Now, there's a myth that's too widely believed in churches is that somewhere way back, because they were, they were closer to the stream, because they were further upstream than we are, that, that the, the early churches didn't have the problems that we had. But that's a myth. That's not true. The level of diversity in the early church is staggering. And the fact that these people all came together in one place it is amazing. And, and that, that diversity caused obvious factions. The Corinthians have some crazy ideas. And they have some wild things that they're fighting over. But here's the point. Paul, from what we can tell, never considers separating fellowship from them. Never. As crazy as they are. As wild as their ideas are, there are some of them who are questioning whether the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. There are some who are saying the resurrection of the dead is not going to occur. There are some who are questioning whether God is the only God and maybe there's multiple paths to God. All these things, Paul never considers separating fellowship from them. He calls them brothers and sisters. He calls them fellow workers he calls them saints. And one of the things that we get here as a church that gets along is that unity has never meant full agreement. Unity has never meant uniformity. What is Paul's response? If, if you're Paul, if you're writing back to these people, what do you address first? You know, you got this laundry list of issues. What do you address? Where do you start? It's interesting that Paul starts with the problem of congregational division. He spends the first four chapters on that one issue, congregational division. Because to Paul, the cross made divisions ridiculous. The cross made all divisions nonsense. And, and the warnings are plain. He, he gives a plain warning that the Holy Spirit lives in the church. And those who would divide the church shall be destroyed. That's pretty strong language. We look at this church and, and, and we think, well, okay, but how does this apply to us? Because we don't have the same things, but we do. 
And one of the ways that that applies to us is we've got to drop the adjectives. We've got to drop the labels. You know, we like to put labels on everything. We like to put everything in its nice, neat little box. And I have my, my personal life here, and I have my, my family life here, and I have my work life here, and I have my spiritual life over here. And, and we have them very clearly delineated. And then when we go into around other people, we, we put them in boxes. If you're a, 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 a white Christian, if you're a black Christian, if you're a liberal Christian, if you're a conservative Christian, if you're a whatever Christian. We have to take out the adjectives. We have to drop the labels and just be Christians, period. No label, no adjective, no qualifiers. That means that, that we stop dividing and unite in Christ. That if we're going to be a church that gets along, we've got to understand that division is sinful. Let me say that again as clearly as I can. Division is sinful. And that's a big deal. To be a church that gets along, we, we, we have to grasp that concept. Jesus tells Peter to forgive your brother how many times? 70 times 7, right? And, and how many times are we told to forgive a divisive person? Two. Wow. Right? Two. Warn a divisive person once, warn him twice, have nothing to do with him. And you go, well, well but Jeff, but, but they do blank. And, and whatever you put in that blank there, they do blank. And we got all kinds of things that we shove in that blank. And it may be instrumental music or maybe women's roles or it may be, I don't know, whatever the, the, the thing du jour is. But we put something in that blank and they do this and that's why we have to separate from them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we put in that blank. Division is still sinful, period. Well, yeah, maybe division is sinful, but it's not as bad as blank. Again, whatever we put in that blank, homosexuality, kneeling at the NFL game, voting Democrat, whatever you put in there, it doesn't matter. Division is still sinful. If you don't believe me, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, that you there, that's, that's a plural, okay? They, they didn't, Paul wasn't from East Texas, but if he was, he would say, do you not know that y'all are, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, when I grew up, that was always quoted to us about doing things that weren't healthy. That was about smoking, you know? It, God doesn't say you can't smoke, but you're God's temple and so you shouldn't be smoking. Have you, anybody else get that? That's just me. It's my generation. It, but that's not what this is about. This is about division in the church. This is talking about if you cut apart the body of Christ, God's going to destroy you. It's, this is about if you abuse and maim the bride of Christ, God's not going to be happy about that. That's how serious this is. And there are lots of us, if we're honest, if we're really honest with ourselves, there are lots of us, and I mean Christians, I mean churches today, who need to repent. 
because we've lived in a spirit of division. We're called, we're beckoned, we're summoned to unite. And, and you go, how, how can we unite when there's so many differences? How, Paul, can we be of, of one mind? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 and 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the heart of the gospel. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the anointed one, the one promised by God. And he was crucified for us. And for Paul, the cross makes division ridiculous. The cross is the root of being a church that gets along. If we're honest with ourselves... Not just churches as a whole, but, but let's bring it down even closer. Because the restoration movement has kind of become an accusation movement. And we as a body, as a people, have sat around making accusations about other people. We got to be honest. We got to own it. It's our heritage. Let me tell you a story. The year is 1807. Now, everything is new at that time. The, the United States is, is a young country. Uh, the world, the centuries just changed. The world is, is wide open. A guy named Thomas Campbell is a preacher in Northern Ireland. He is a, a minister for a Presbyterian church. Um, he is... Uh, uh, He's a member of a subset of a subset of a subset of the Presbyterian Church. I won't bore you with the politics, but the, the, the idea was that there was, there was all these things, and, and if you didn't believe this exact thing, then, then you would separate and be a different faction of that same Presbyterian Church. And, and the Campbells were members of the anti-Burger Seceder Senate of Ulster. You don't need to know that. It's not going to be on the test. But it, it, that's how they were fragmented. The official church of, was the Irish version of the Anglican Church or the Church of England. And British officials were very wary of any group not affiliated with the Church of England. Um, and so Presbyterians, they weren't sure whether they could totally be trusted or not. Um, add to that the constant friction that is Ireland between Catholic and Protestant. And, and so this is the state that, that Thomas lives in. He is... He has a deep longing for peace and unity among believers. But his synod, his governing body comes to him and says, hey, we've got good news. We're going to send you to America. The bad news is we don't have the money to send everybody. We're just going to send you. Your family can stay here, and when they gather up enough money, they can come join you. We're going to just send you. And so Thomas goes to America. Meanwhile, his family stays trying to raise money, trying to, to get enough that they can come and, and join him. Thomas was a minister within the Presbyterian church and, and he, he believes in America, maybe he'll be free from a lot of the religious division that he's seen in Ireland. And so he, he gets to America and, and it's a wide open country. 
And, and he's put in charge of multiple congregations. And so he kind of does this itinerant preacher thing where he goes around to different places. And, and, but but he, he starts to get in trouble. He gets in trouble because when people who weren't members of his subset of a subset of a subset of the Presbyterian church came to worship with him, he welcomed them. That got him in big trouble. He also offered them communion. Now, at that time, communion was a big deal. You, you didn't get communion unless you had the right mix of clergy and, and the right bishops and, and the right clergy there, the right priests. And, and there, are, there are places in Ireland still to this day who haven't taken communion in years because they've never had the right people in the right place at the right time. And Thomas did away with all that. If you came to him and you declared that you believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, he offered you communion. He called you his brother, and that got him in big trouble. The, the main job of a denomination is to denominate, right? And so if you, if to do that, you have to preserve the denomination. That's the most important thing. And so you put up walls, and, and, and you create rules. And, and so Thomas was breaking all these rules, and that made some people very upset. He actually was put on trial by his church um, for the things that he had done. He faced charges such as these, that, that he insisted persons have a saving faith, but did not insist they had a saving experience. What does that mean? Well, at, at that time, the church required you to have some sort of experience, some sort of calling. It wasn't enough to say you believed in Jesus. You had to have some sort of religious experience to the point that people would make up a religious experience so they would be sec- accepted by the church. There's a story of one guy who, who tells about how he, uh, at, that, at that time in the early 1800s, he, he made up a, a calling. He made up a religious experience so that he would be accepted by the church. And, and it ate him up inside. And so 10 years later, he finally confessed that he had made it all up and his church kicked him out. And, and he would say, hey, what kind of church accepts you for lying but kicks you out for telling the truth? But that was, that was the culture, and Thomas didn't play into that. He also didn't require that people pledge their allegiance to the Westminster Confession of Faith. He would ask people if they believed in Jesus and if their lives had been changed as a result of that, and, and that was unacceptable. He also, as I said, offered communion freely instead of, of uh, uh, having to, to go through all the... You had to go through a board. You had to sit, and they would ask you questions, and if you got all the questions right, they'd give you a token and you could go take communion. But if you didn't get all the questions right, then you had to go study some more and you could come back and see if you could take communion next week. Um, and, and Thomas didn't do any of that. And he got in trouble. He faced trial. He was told you have to get in line. You have to cease doing all these things or you're going to get kicked out. And so he left. He quit. He walked away. Now remember, there's no phones. There's no Skype. There's no Zoom. There's no contact And so meanwhile, his family is still back in Ireland gathering money because they're going to go join dad in his work. And so they finally get up enough money and they get on a boat and they they get out. They don't get very far before there's a big storm and they get shipwrecked. They get shipwrecked off the coast of Scotland and and they're brought in. And and coincidentally, if you believe in that, coincidentally, they they are landed on on land that belonged to Clan Campbell. Um, So they're with family. Um, So they start over. They have to raise more money now so they can get another boat so they can go to America and be with dad. And so while they're there, Alexander, Thomas's son, goes to 
college. And as students do when they go to college, he starts to get all these crazy ideas. He starts to get all these radical ideas, radical ideas like these, that the king should not be allowed to choose what religion you are. Radical ideas like you're not allowed, you're you're allowed to read the Bible for yourself. You don't need priests or clergy or bishops to tell you what to believe. Alexander rejected the communal exercise. Um, the, the famous legendary story goes that he was standing there holding his communion token. And as he got closer and closer to the place where he would be offered communion, he, he finally couldn't take it anymore. And he throws his coin at the, the bishop and walks away. So the family finally gets up enough money and they come to America. And dad comes to meet him. Now picture this because Thomas is terrified. Because he's got to tell his family that he's been kicked out of the church. He's not a minister of the Presbyterian church anymore. He is an itinerant preacher going place to place. On the other hand, Alexander is terrified because he's got to tell his dad that he doesn't believe what he believes anymore. Can you imagine that wagon ride? They don't talk about it for the first three days of the journey. They talk about everything else, you know, and they, they kind of hedge their bets. And, and about the third day, some 350-odd miles in by wagon, Thomas says, I've been writing some things, and I'd like you to read them and tell me what you think. He hands Alexander a document. Today we call that document the Declaration and Address. And as Alexander begins to read this document, tears start streaming down his face because his dad had written things that he had already come to believe. The document begins, let none imagine, pardon the 1800s language, but try, try, to, try to catch it. Let none imagine that the subjoined propositions are at all intended as an overture towards a new creed or standard for the church or in any wise designed to be made a term of communion. Nothing can be farther from our intentions. They are merely designed for opening up the way that we may come fairly and firmly to original ground. Uh, skip on down. That the church upon earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one, consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him in all things according to the scriptures. That although the church upon earth must necessarily exist in particular and distinct societies locally separate from one another, there ought be no schisms, no uncharitable divisions among them. And for this purpose, they ought to all walk by the same rule and be perfectly joined together in the same mind. There's more, but Thomas and Alexander then decide that they're going to just be Christians. They're not going to be subset of a subset of a subset. They're not going to be this or that. They're just going to be Christians. And they're just going to follow Jesus. That's the roots of what we call the restoration movement. Somewhere along the way, we became something else. But, but our, our core idea is we're going to be a church that gets along. Because we're not going to be rooted on some kind of creed or some kind of hoop that you've got to jump through. We're going to be rooted in the Bible. We're going to be rooted in the cross of Christ. We're going to throw away all the labels and all the things that divide us. 
and we're going to be something different. Now, of course, people come in, and, and as with anything else, we come in with our preferences and our, our preconceptions and our family history and all these things. And, and you know, we, we, uh, we, we come in all together and we, we mess things up. But we get stuck somewhere in a denominational mindset that we have to delineate. We have to separate. And that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be a body that is called out, that is holy, that is separate, and that gets along not based on uniformity, but based on a common love for Jesus, on a common pledge to all come together and kneel at the cross of Christ. It means that, that we are offered the opportunity to be a beacon to the world. Imagine you're Jesus and you're preparing to go to the cross, right? You're, you're, you know what's coming. You know what to expect. What would you pray for? What would you pray for? Would you, what does Jesus pray for? Does he pray for world peace? Does he pray to, to end hunger? No. He prays for unity of believers. John chapter 17 my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Jesus says, this is their witness to the world, that they be one. Their witness to the world is, is, is not a sign on the outside of the building. It's not how I was baptized. It's not what translation of Bible I use. It's coming together at the foot of the cross. All this stuff that we fight about, and, you know, it's, it's a long list. We've even added new stuff Mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. You know, we find all kind of stuff to fight about. And now their church is still dividing. But Jesus says none of that is going to help us show the world that he is sent from the Father. None of it. What's going to do that? Being a church that gets along. We, like the Christians in Corinth, have been sanctified. We've been called out to be saints. We've been called out to be a, a church that, that gets along. This morning, we have to remember that, that all the things that divide us, whether they be political or cultural or spiritual, whatever the things are that divide us, they're wrong. We've got to get rid of them. We're called to be a church that gets along. Think about it. When you were baptized, did the preacher ask you, do you believe that a church shouldn't have a kitchen in it? Do you believe that women shouldn't read scripture? Do you believe that we could go on and on and on? No. What did he ask you? 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That's it. And when we get down and when we boil everything down to that core, all of a sudden, all that other stuff is meaningless. And so we may disagree over this or that or how we do this or how we do that. But, but if you call on the name of Jesus, if you acknowledge Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, I will call you sanctified. I will call you a saint. I will call you a brother or a sister in Christ. That's how we be a church that gets along. We keep the main thing the main thing. And we drop everything else. This morning, we don't just amen the prayer of Jesus. We join in that prayer. We join in that prayer that we can, as a body, as believers, be a light to the world. That we can show them through our love what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray that prayer right now. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you this morning and we have to repent that our churches have not always been churches that get along. We praise you, Lord, because you don't abandon us for that. You, you don't throw us away that you love us in spite of ourselves. This morning, Lord, we join in the prayer of Jesus that we can be one, that we can be united, that we can be a people who come together despite our differences at the foot of the cross of Jesus and become his hands and feet to a lost and dying world. Forgive us, Lord. Bless us. We need your spirit. We need your guidance. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.